Well, that is the familiar intro music to American Billiard Radio, but I am definitely not Mr. Bond. We lost Mr. Bond earlier this year, and he has gone way too soon. This is an attempt to keep Dave's American Billiard Radio dream alive. Dave produced an episode almost every week, and I know that is a lot of hard work. I'm going to do my best to keep his schedule, and I know that would be impossible without the help of some of the people who kept the show going. With that in mind, I got together this week with Mark Cantrell and Melinda Bailey to catch up and see how things are going with them. All right, I've got Mark Cantrell on the phone. Mark, how you doing? It's been a while since we talked. Uh, no, I'm doing good, Mike. Thank you very much. Uh, I've been kind of staying out of the way a little bit, you know, been uh, doing my uh, healing process. You know, I, some people know I... Uh, parted a little harder than I should have in my earlier days and had some liver problems that, uh, you know, all on the men now, but it was kind of a scary situation for a little while. I've had to take it easy and not do, uh, I don't drink or smoke anymore, believe it or not. Uh, but, you know, just had to ease off on everything that I was doing, going on tours, etc. Um, but you know, still, still love pool, still want to be a part of it. So, um, yeah, that's basically where I am at right now. Hopefully I can slowly work my way back into the pool and billiards business, uh, bigger and better than ever. Is it harder to do that <laughs> when you're in a pool room? I haven't really been in, uh, that many pool rooms, to be honest with you, since but I've been to uh, bars, I've been to social, uh, you know, uh, social uh, gatherings. Uh, you know, I've been up to freezers, for an example, uh, and things like that. Freezers, uh, Ice House, the pool room here in town. Um, no, it's, I've, you know, I'm very lucky. A lot of people really struggle with uh, addiction. And I, you know, obviously I'm in the position I was in for a reason. But uh, I'm not uh, crawling up the walls, and I feel bad. I go to a recovery meeting every week that uh, is part of my health thing that I have to do. If I have to have a liver transplant down the road, uh, I have to do have so many hours of uh, uh, you know attending uh, prevention classes and relapse prevention classes and things like that. So. I, I go there and I listen to some of their stories and they're just, I mean, I'm, I, unfortunately it had to happen the way it happened. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't nice, but you know, it scared the bejeebas out of me to the point that I don't, I'm really not that interested in drinking, uh, getting used to being sober is another thing. <laughs> uh, seriously, I, I, I told the doctor at one point, uh, uh, I said, you know, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm, uh, I haven't touched it at a drop and I feel drunk sometimes. He said, no, you're not drunk. You're just sober. Your body's getting used to being sober. That's, this is what it feels like for everybody else. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> have you, have you played pool at all since you gave it up? No, but I haven't played, you know, before it happened, uh, I hadn't played in maybe a couple of years, maybe hit a couple of balls around very uh, whimsically, uh, but I hadn't been playing. I've just got an interest. I'm I'm not a bad player. Uh, I should probably start getting back into it. 
you know, I'm, I'm, I say that I'm not a bad player. I didn't used to be anyway. I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know what's happened since. Maybe I've forgotten how to hit a ball, or uh, maybe standing up for too long, or something might not agree with me too much. But yeah, I think I should. I, I really need to. But then again, there's no pool rooms really that close to me. I have to go uh, 15, 20 minutes uh, from my house. To, to play pool. I wish it was somewhere a little bit closer because I have to, you know, kind of rearrange my day, as silly as that sounds, to, to go and play pool. You mean with all the contacts you have in the pool world, nobody's offered you a table for home? <laughs> you know what? That'd be a, you know, I probably could reach out and uh, do that, but uh, my daughter decided she wanted to live with us again. And uh, my house has got three stories and the downstairs we just basically made it into a self-contained apartment. So that's where my dream was, to have a pool table. <laughs> so that's gone bye-bye, along with all my other dreams and aspirations. You know, the kids ruined everything for me. I was really going to be <laughs> I know you were right on the cusp. I was on the cusp of being making it big, you know? Yeah. Could have uh... been somebody. <laughs> Could have been a contender. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... I understand that you're not, you know, you're not doing the the Legends and Champions tour and and kind of staying away. Have you been keeping up on what's going on in pool? Yeah, to an extent. Yeah, to an extent. I still enjoy it. Um, it's it's kind of uh, a little bit like if you are a vegetarian. What's the point in going and looking in the meat section at Safeway. I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense to you, but I, I haven't been as deep into it as I maybe could have been because I know I can't play. I can't be as involved as I want to be. And if I start watching and, and getting deep involved, I'm going to want to go and play. I'm going to want to go and do some things. And right, right now, it's just, I'm on the edge. I, I'm just not able to do it, I'm afraid. Well, I mean, certainly when you were out in the van with Johnny or Nick or Earl or whomever, I mean, those had to turn into friendships. You guys don't, do you guys still communicate or have you just gone completely silent? Those times in the van with Johnny Archer and Earl Strickland is what led me to drink. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no, I keep, uh, I, I spoke to uh, Nick Varner, maybe, uh, a week and a half ago, I speak to Johnny Arch on a very regular basis. Uh, Karen Core, Darren Appleton, you know, we we text back and forth, you know, saying "Hey, how you doing?" kind of thing. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it's, 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 I stay in touch. You know, we, we're I'm still in touch with everybody. I think, and it's been mentioned a couple of times. If you ever want to go back and do something, hey, I'm here, kind of thing. Um, I'm I'm willing to go and do something. So maybe you know, like I said, I mean, I've got. I had to give it two years. Apparently, that's what my doctor said. Um, and I'm about a year and two months into it. So uh, once I get to two years, I'll be able to travel and uh, you know safely. Right. Uh, I, w- I won't bore you with the details, but when I get sick, it happens all of a sudden, and it's not pretty. And it's a very dangerous situation. And so I have to be around where I can get the medical attention that I need and they know what's going on right away. 
And I would certainly agree that your health is the absolute top priority about. I mean, pool is pool. It'll always be there. Team USA will still be losing when you come back. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Moscone Cup is in uh, Europe this year. Well, right. Right? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I heard it's sold out already. Well, it does over there. I mean, it, not that they had any problem selling tickets here, but, I mean, it, it sells out like a rock concert over there. Yeah, well, it's, it's been selling out pretty fast here as well. Um, but, boy, I, tell you, I don't know if you watch uh, – I don't really watch it. I probably should. BBC America um, on cable or direct TV, wherever you've got. Uh, I think it's on Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings they have the – Ultimate uh, uh, Premier League darts, right? Uh, and Metroom basically, well, Barry Hearn basically owns darts, and so that's another one of their productions. And the amount of money that they make on alcohol alone, and for those things, because the crowds are so big and so boisterous over there. I mean, it's like um, Super Bowl Sunday every week <laughs> for them with the darts, you know. Everybody just gets in the mood. They're shouting and cheering. They tailgate. They get licking up and everything else. Um, so I, I I can imagine, even though I don't, I just don't see pool being as big in in England, let's say, as it is here. But they're definitely more enthusiastic and more committed. I think. But do you think that's? Do you think that's wrong? Like, do you think him? I don't know. I mean, I think if there's any chance of it happening, Barry Hearn can make it happen. Um, I think Pool as a whole would be in a lot worse place without him involved. Um, but you know, you're right. Dart players are a, a unique breed. I mean, they there's there's a room here in Phoenix that caters to pool players and dart players, and they are just they're night and day. I mean, it seems like the biggest yeah. problem you have with dart players is, I mean, I've seen a couple fights outside of the room, but, you know, they, there is none of that, you know, in, in pool, at, at a regional level at least, we figure out that the best players are not necessarily the ones who spend the most money. With dart players, I don't think they have that issue. I mean, they all... You know, they all spend quite a bit. I mean, you can keep a room open with dart players. You can't do it with pool players. I, I think maybe that's the amount of real estate that's needed per square foot, you know, uh, in a bar for dart players versus pool players. Um, I don't know how many square foot it takes to have, let's say, five pool tables. Uh, but, you know, because you know you've got the six, um, um, let's say nine uh, nine by four and a half table, and then you've got to have X amount of space between the tables around them. So that takes up so much space. That's all in your rent for a pool room, you know? It, that, that square footage is in your rent, and if it's not being used, you're losing money. With darts, it's the, obviously it's the same thing, but they take up much less space. Yeah, I could see that. You know, in the space that you put two or three pool tables, you could probably put half a dozen dartboards. Yeah, yeah, or, or, or more. Yeah. yeah, and 
technology in darts has really moved forward. You know, with with the internet play and stuff like that. I mean, you can. There's always somebody to compete against, no matter what time of day it is. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, uh, to do the same thing with the hot shots golf. Oh yeah. Uh, that's all on the internet. People are just. I, when that first came out, I used to love playing it, and then it got to the point where I go to the local bar to play, and I thought I was pretty good at this game. And these people are comp- competing for money, playing in, con- in tournaments and competitions on 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 there. You know, you'd have to play a certain course in a certain time frame and enter, and they have a card that identifies them and so on. And they, they were winning all kinds of money. And these people were, it stopped being fun because these people were just, I guess, uh, it's, I guess kind of like uh, you and me trying to play against Ronnie O'Sullivan, <laughs> you know, snooker. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, well, we enjoy playing, but we don't like getting our ass ground into the floor every time we go near the table because Ronnie O'Sullivan's there. Right. Uh, <clears throat> but, yeah, the dart players do well. Oh, I guess my only thing of bringing up the darts was the uh, – the the Europeans uh, the Moscone Cup filling up over there they'll they're just more of an enthusiastic bunch uh, I think we've got more pool fans but they're not here but they're not as enthusiastic as the Europeans are well you can I mean I don't, I feel kind of bad saying it but I mean just look at any tape of Moscone Cup over the last ten years. Right, and, and look who's look who's dressed up with a face painted, screaming and shouting and singing songs, and then look at who sat down, going in a very mild and meek voice, USA. <laughs> Do you think that's that's a, a regional thing, though? I mean, Europeans they like to party. Yeah, you know, I think they just you know they know how to let their their hair down, and and there are some people yeah. who might say that they go too far, but they party. Yeah, I probably uh, for the most part. If you take the collective of fans, uh, ardent fans, or just fans in, if you take a hundred fans from the Moscone Cup, hundred from USA, a hundred from Europe, the USA fans are probably more knowledgeable about the game. But the the enthusiasm and the party atmosphere that the Europeans bring along with it. You know, that's where the loudness makes that difference. So, yeah, along with liking the party, they like to cheer their team on, uh, even though maybe sometimes they don't know what they're cheering for. <laughs> <laughs> well, pool's a pretty good, pretty easy game to follow. You just watch the nine ball. Yeah. Um, th- th- there's, there's that, and I, I don't – I have to say all that. I don't think it makes a difference, to be honest. I, I, how loud Team Europe are versus how loud – Team USA fans are. I don't think it makes a difference. I think when it boils down to it, the players are going to play, and it doesn't matter how loud your fans are. It's not necessarily going to help you all that much. You still got to make the nine ball. I would agree that it doesn't necessarily help a team so much, but do you think it hinders the other team? I mean, do you think it's? I mean, certainly they're under enough stress as it is representing their country but do you think the opposing team having fans that are screaming and carrying on like that do you think that affects team usa's game 
Yeah, you probably have a valid point there. Yeah, yeah. If I mean, if you're if you're already down two games to nail, let's say two two games to zero, and every time you run a little out of position or miss a shot, the other team are cheering. It's got to do something to your psyche, you know, that makes you go, "Oh crap! I better not miss this. I'm going to hear it from these guys." And it's going to make you feel worse than you already did. Yeah. So you're probably right, Mike. Yeah. A couple of years ago when you and Dave were interviewing uh, rookie players for the Team USA, and they would be asked, you know, are you ready for that kind of pressure? And to a man, the response was usually, you know, look, I've gambled – I've gambled for the most, you know, for nosebleed stakes and, and, you know, I've been, you know, pressure's not a big deal to me. It's a whole different kind of pressure. You know, when you're worrying about, do I have money for food tonight? It's different than, oh Lord, am I going to have to hear it again if I miss this ball? Yeah. Well, it it, it makes you, you're going to hear it. It makes you, it's going to make you feel worse than you already do. And on top of that... It's piling on. It's beating a dead horse because now you, you, your mind's going, well, oh, shit, I'm going to let my family down, my friends all came to spend all this money. I come to Vegas to watch me play. I'm never going to win a match. Uh, I'm, I'm playing for USA. I'm playing for my country. And I'm letting my country down, my family down, my sponsors down, my friends down, my teammates down. Yeah. And, and 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 these guys are all happy about it and they're letting my all my people know how happy they are. Right. You know, not to mention that it's something that you were striving for the entire year, you know, to yeah. make it on the team is one thing, but then you get there and you don't bring your absolute top game because I'm sure everyone on Team USA, if you went to them and said, "Did you play your best at Moscone Cup?" they'd say, "No, no, definitely not." <laughs> yeah. They've got uh it's, it's a tough, it's a tough position to to be in, and you know when they say the, those qualifiers, I, you know I love Matchroom. I, I just, I just think that Luke and uh, Barry, the, those guys just do such a great job. Um, I the, the the qualifying, I think that's that's being done away with this year. They're right. not doing that anymore. Uh, well, we'll change it again, maybe I don't know. <laughs> but I, I the 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 ranking system, uh, the point system that they had, boy, I mean, all right, not to take anything away from Bergman or uh, Justin Hall or anybody else, but you you could win a tournament that has like 30 nobodies in it. Right. And, you you know, you you know, uh, well, no, you probably don't know this, uh, when you get to a final in a lot of cases, you probably don't know anything about that. But <laughs> when, You're a funny guy. <laughs> Just uh, throw that in. When, <clears throat> when you're in a weekly to- Tuesday night tournament or whatever, you get to the final, it, it might be midnight, one o'clock, and everybody's gone home. And it's you and some other guy playing the finals for the money. Right. Well, what is that? What, what, I mean, what kind of pressure, uh, what kind of atmosphere is it? I mean, you might suffer from boredom or something, <laughs> but it's not, it's not going to do anything. You can't go, oh, yeah, 
after my win at the, you know, Mark Kentrell's uh, basement tournament, you know, there was just me and Mike Houghton in the final. Right. And there was, his kid was watching. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the stream was going with four people watching. Yeah, and I'm ready for the Moscone Cup now. Yeah. So, well, anyway. Well, um, this feels kind of kind of awkward. I don't think you and I have had a uh, have have been part of a podcast in quite some time without uh, Dave along with us. You were the one who who called me to to tell me what had happened with Dave. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about it the other day. You've been a part of the show, God, since what the second episode? First, first episode. How did how did that yeah. come together? How did Dave get in touch with you, and and how did you guys? I mean, I know he he was the driving force behind the show, and certainly he had more uh, energy and enthusiasm for it than at least I know I did. Um, how did the show come together in the beginning with you and him? Well, I'd been I'd, I'd been working for a short amount of time for a company that wanted to be involved in pool and billiards. Uh, they'll remain nameless, uh, and it it didn't work out. It just did not work out. Uh, the 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 whole thing turned into a mess, and 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 I will prepare my innocence on every part of it. But there was threads on the internet that weren't very favorable towards me, and things like that. I'm like, you oh, know, man, I tell you what, you can do a million good things. And the first time you do anything or somebody says you did something, the world will come crashing down on you. They'll just beat you up over it. And so I was I'm feeling my grace. And I get a call from Dave Bonds, who I'd never met, never spoke to before. Uh, seen him on uh, Easy Billiards forums, uh, chatting here and there about one thing or another. And he told me about this concept he wanted to do with the radio show. Uh, the, the podcast and American Billiard Radio. So, but I don't want to do it until I'm ready, but I want to get all my pieces together. Would you want to be involved? I'd love to have you as part of, and you have your own segment. I said, Dave, have you been reading AZ Billiards or anything? <laughs> about, you know, if you're trying to put something together, I might not be the best choice for you right now. He said, no, that's why I want you to be on that. So I think you've got something to say. And I said, okay, sure. And it started off, there was no guest. Uh, the first show that I did, there was no guest. It was um, the State of the Union was the first week. And I, remember, I, I don't know why I remember that so clearly. Uh, but the, it was the week of the State of the Union. <clears throat> and he decided to do a, a week theme of State of the Union and State of the Pool. Okay. Um, and at that time, people complaining that there was no tournaments going on and there weren't enough going on pool's going to die and so we went, I'd gone through all these things, the pool's going to die but I said, we've seen this and I believe it, but when I look at the calendar, there's more events than there were for the last two years that are paying good money so how are we subconsciously kind of telling ourselves it's dead uh, do we want to believe that what, what's going on so anyway, that's how it started then we said, well, you know, Dave said, do you know anybody, any famous pool players? I said, <laughs> I know a couple. Yeah, a couple. 
I said, well, can, do you think they might do an interview? I said, yeah, sure. I can ask them. So that's when it started, and it just went on from there. You guys, um, I mean, there were a number of times that, that I'd get a call from Dave on, on Thursdays and, you know, are you interested in doing something today? And usually by then I've got my day pretty much mapped out. I mean, he he did it every week. I mean, there were times that he didn't do a show, but I did you think in the beginning that it was going to go on as long as it did and be I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to try to, you know, blow smoke up your skirt and say, "Oh, it was the most amazing thing." But, you know, it was a part of the pool world. And did you expect it to be what it was? Um I always thought that maybe there's a consistency thing and it's very hard to keep that consistency going. So you have a show every Thursday. And when I say there's got to be something going on, there's got to be somebody to interview, something relevant about that person. Um, And that was my biggest fear was we're going to run out of things. And we did. We ran out many a times. I sat on the phone with Dave going, what what we're gonna do? What do you want to talk about? Wonder if Mike knows anything. <laughs> Let's call Mike. He he knows stuff. Um, but then the one of the last tours that I went out on, uh, somebody came up to me. Well, actually, somebody was a, a number of people, surprising number of people, who said, "Hey, just, not people will come up when we do the exhibition, say, hey, thanks for doing this. It's great.'" Gives us a chance to see these guys play and that kind of thing. Uh, but there was an equal amount of people coming to me and saying, hey, thanks for doing that radio show. I listen to it every week. Listen to it in the car on the way to work. I listen to it on Thursday nights, so, you know, whatever. And so I went, huh, that's kind of interesting. These people are actually, it's on their calendar now. They do look forward to it. But was it three years no. How many years has it been? He started the show in late 03. <laughs> no. Or not 03, uh, 13. Yeah, he started it in late in 2013 because I, okay. I downloaded all the episodes to get them up on, on the new site so that they wouldn't be lost. And, and I know that the first one was like December of 2013. Yeah, time, time flies. Um I know there was a couple of shows that got missed because um, we were struggling for an hour trying to find something that we could do something for. You know, is it a tournament? Yes, it's a tournament, but we report on it today. Tomorrow it's changed, and that's when the show's going to be going out. Right. And if we wait until the day after, everybody will already know, so we're not giving anybody any news. And so... We said, well, should we just do this? Sometimes we just did a show with just talking. And then sometimes we said, I'd rather not do a show than do one that's really bad. You know, you can't all be good. This, this, we've got a fair share of duds out there. But we did our best with what we had at any particular time and tried to save ourselves from, you know, some things. And we didn't we didn't agree. Dave, I... I, I, I I've said it to him many a time, and he would laugh. He's the most boring person I've ever met in my whole life sometimes. Because <laughs> he would get stuck on something in history of pool balls or 
how they turned legs on it was so enthusiastic about the most mundane of things to do with pool and it started telling me about how they used to brunswick used to turn the legs of the tables from a certain chisel and this guy used the chisel to do this and it's like it, I, 15 20 minutes into it i'm like dave <laughs> I, i'm i'm gonna slip my wrists here <laughs> you can't do a show and this is him telling me about what he wants to do on the show I said, you can't do this so i'm gonna read a chapter of this book okay you're gonna read a chapter of a book well is it my book <laughs> no <laughs> oh well and and he went through a phase of reading the chapter of this book so he found it interesting but he was enthusiastic about these things. And that's what made everything else work because there's other people around who were different in other areas, you know? Uh, but he did keep it going. But, so. you know, if you've been in this, and I mean, certainly, I think you and I are on the same wavelength when it comes to this. When you've been in this industry for this long, a lot of times somebody will come up with an idea and your immediate thought is, oh yeah, sure you are. You're going to do a show every week for an hour. But he didn't feel that that was not possible. I mean, if if there were more people in the industry with his enthusiasm, I think we would be in a better yeah. place. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... I I, I made fun of him in the, in the, in the best possible way um, about the enthusiasm. And it, actually, what I just said about turning the legs on a Brunswick table or how they made balls or who did what, where and when in history, if you can be excited about that, <laughs> God, Moscone Cup's got to be like sensory overload to you, you know? Yeah, I could see that. So he did, you know, he, he was, uh, you're right. He did. I, it's a shame, you know, that he's not here anymore. It's, uh, it's, I didn't realize it had been that long that the show had been going for, uh, but he is the, he was the driving force of it. And, uh, I, I knew that what he wanted to do and to go back to your question, I knew what he wanted to do. I'm like, there's got to be so much commitment to doing this every week and that you've got to figure out a way for things when things are not happening. Um, run out radio, for an example. You, you and Jerry Forsyth did run out radio. Right. And you know from that how hard it was every week or every two weeks or every month or to, to just find something good. Well... And, you know, we, we did a show when we felt it was time to do a show. And right. that was where I had the, you know, that was where I really didn't think Dave could do it in, in him saying that he wanted to do it every week. And you and I mm. talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about keeping the show alive. And you said, it's got to be on a regular basis. And, you know, I'm going to do my best with your help of you know trying to stay as regular as possible there'll be times when you know i i know i just can't do it but you know i think we did run out radio we did 50 episodes and by the 50th episode i just wanted to do something else um you know dave and you did almost 200 
Um, and, and I yeah. think it's important not only that the stuff that you guys did stays out there, but that somebody tries to keep that alive. Well, when you look at what he wanted, he wanted to memorialize the pool world. It's all part of the history thing that he's so involved in. Oh, by the way, the, the other time that we didn't do a show, we, it was like four shows that we didn't do, something like that. And it was one was because we didn't do anything. We, it was nothing to do, absolutely nothing. But the other one was uh, when Prince died. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, if I'm lying, I'm dying. They said, I don't think I can do it today. Yeah. Like, Are you serious? <laughs> But yeah, but he wanted to memorialize the the pool uh, happenings and goings on. And when you look at some of those shows, the U.S. Open Nine Ball, when all those things were standing rid of their ugly head with Barry Berman, and we had him on the phone doing interviews with him, two or three of them, right, something like that. And now uh, he's gone, right. There's no more Barry Berman, and but because what Dave wanted to do happened. Right. He wanted to capture that moment in history, in Paul and Billy's history, and he did it. Yeah. Not just that moment, but many moments. Oh yeah. You just don't know when they're going to happen. But if you stick with it, and you you know, like you say, if you do it every week, you do it on a regular basis, you keep your finger on the pulse, and you're there when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh. There's a few different people who were on those. I'd have to go through, uh, but there's a few people who we had <coughs> conversations with, did interviews with that are not with us anymore. And that's it's good that we've got them in their later years. I mean, I've got I don't want anything to happen to Keith McCready. Oh no! But no, what no. I, I can he he can talk. Yeah, and you get him uh, and there's a Barry Berman, and you get them. And somewhere down the road, people will be talking in, I don't know, 50 years, 100 years about the color of money. And, oh, that greedy season's actually played pool, you know. <laughs> yeah, he did. Uh, and, and that's, oh, what was his name? Keith McCready. What comes up under Keith McCready? You know, some videos. Oh, this interview with him for American Billiard Radio. So it's things like that that have been catch. And that's what he wanted to do. And I'm glad that he got to do what he got to do. You know, he's, you know, and now we're having this show, you know, he's going down in history again. Yeah. Yeah. You remember before we got started on this, you asked me how long you thought it would take. And I told you, oh, maybe five or 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, how long has it been now? Yeah, we're 45 minutes in. Well, when you, uh, See, a week or so ago, you said thinking about keeping uh, keeping it going, uh, but you know I don't think we need to go to more more than a half hour show. <laughs> I think we can do half an hour. And I said, and, and you're going to be able to get the news of the day in and interviews and everything else in that half an hour. I don't know. Sometimes we might go over. Well, <laughs> this is your first attempt, Dave. Uh, Dave or yeah. Tony Dave. No. Oh my God. I, I can't fill those shoes. If this is your first attempt at staying on your half-hour track. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and part of it's just the fact that, you know, even on the on the shows that the three of us would do, we 
I imagine those were probably the longest shows that he had because the three of us would just get going and you don't think about the time. Right. It's, I know it's, uh, and it was good. It was good. It was good fun. You know, uh, I, I make fun of Dave and he accepted it because I kept busting him on things and he'd laugh and go, Oh, really? Oh, this is, this is crazy. <laughs> Can I, do you mind if I, I tell a story? No, please okay? do. Do we have time? Please do. Uh, the, the, it's just a silly story about Dave. You know, you've, if you've read my book, it's one of those things that happens and you're just not expecting them to happen. I was in Vegas. I got a Moscone Cup. I was with Dave. Uh, he ran out of money. I lent him some money. And I happened to be in Chicago a year later. I'm like, I'm going to get that money back from Dave <laughs> one way or another here. So I said, hey, you want to go out for dinner? So my plan was have dinner and then get him to pay the check. Because I didn't, he wanted a lot of money that, you know, I lent him. But that was my idea. So we went to Hooters, you know, real classy joint. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to get this fish and chips. I said, do you want something, Dave? He said, no, I'm just going to have a beer. And Dave was a beer snob. He wouldn't drink a Bud Light. He had to be the $8 glass of beer that's uh, peach, fuzzy, <laughs> summer ale, or whatever. And so he got one of those. So the bill came, and I said, oh, geez, Dave, your beer was $8. That's as much as my fish and chips. He said, oh, it's okay. Well, you just get, just get them. You just get this. I said, I'm not. Why don't you stick your hand in your pocket and why don't you get this? He said, fine. I'm going to eat. I got some money in the car. He goes out to the car. He comes back. I said, all right, you ready? He said, yeah. I said, I'm going to go to the bathroom. You settle up. <laughs> he said, okay. I go to the bathroom. I go to meet him outside. Out he comes. We're getting in the car. And here come the waitress and the manager chasing us down. I said, I'm like, what's wrong? Like, can you come back? They're holding the check. I said, do you pay the check? <laughs> he, said, he said, yeah. And I went and I looked and he said, well, I paid for mine. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> he thought he paid for his $8 beer because I complained about the $8 beer because it was a snob, and, but didn't pay mine, which there's my plan gone. Right. And he didn't leave a tip. <laughs> so now. So I'm, I'm like, stood there, said, how much do you need? All right. So I paid him and a tip. So my big plan to get my money back off Dave backfired. ended up costing me more money <laughs> than, than it would have. I'm like, I don't, I don't believe you just did that. And he, he left the whole way to Red Shoes. You <laughs> see, <laughs> so you should have seen your face. Like, I'm not running out on my tab. Um, and then in Vegas, he was... Uh, the classic one is the waitress had come around. We were playing roulette. The waitress had come around asking if anybody needed a cocktail. I'd get a bourbon and Coke, and he'd get a Coke. I said, Dave, are you not drinking? I mean, it's Moscone Cup. You're in Vegas. He said, don't worry about me. And he winked at me with this knowing look on his face and tapped his pocket. What are you doing, Dave? He said, they're not going to get me. <laughs> I said, who's not going to get you? The casino. I've got mini bottles. Oh, no. I'm like, 
And Dave, you're gambling. They give it to you for free, you know. Really? <laughs> yeah. So he's getting a Coke every time. He's, he's the only guy who sneaks his own beer into the casino. Right. So he can get it for free. Well, he shouldn't get it for free, does he? So it's little things like that. There's a bunch, bunch of stories. I always had a good time with him. Uh, he was a good guy. Uh, he'll always have a special place in my heart. Uh, he was at my wedding. And it's a shame. It's a shame he's gone so quick. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it was this time. But, and, and, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm sitting around laughing and being all jovial. No. Because if the shoe was on the other foot, he would be laughing and jovial about right. the memories that he has when I've done something stupid as well. So Right. No, I mean, you know, like I say, you were there. You, know, you were the one who called me. There was no joviality involved. I mean, we were both floored. Yeah. Yeah, that was just such a shame. Such a shame. But eh, one of these... Hopefully, he's looking down and going, "Yes, I'm. I'm going to get <laughs> Mark, and, Mark and Mike to work on ABR for free." There you go. <laughs> and they'll keep talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, I All appreciate right. you taking the time—a uh, little bit more time than I had originally anticipated. But uh, you know, it's always fun, and I will look forward to. Yep continuing to do this with you as much as we can i hope so and thank you for uh, trying to keep it going it's not easy you've got all the equipment and the know-how and and everything else so uh, i i appreciate it hopefully we can you know make it make it work as good or better than it ever has before let's hope so all right mark i will talk to you later all right buddy you Thanks. take it easy now yep that was my conversation with mark cantrell Mark has agreed to help out with the show as much as he can, and I will definitely be taking him up on it. After that conversation, I had a chance to sit down with Melinda Bailey and catch up with what she's been doing. All right, I'm on the line right now with Melinda Bailey. Melinda, how you been? I've been good. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I haven't chatted with you in a while, either. I know. It's been a long time. Gosh, long time. It's nice to hear your voice, though. Yeah, well, you should talk to members of my family. They don't agree with that. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you know, it's we have fun talking, but, you know, it is kind of a sad note. Um, you and I spoke right after I found out about the passing of Dave. Um, your thoughts? Well, I was uh, obviously very distraught, um, very shocked, um, any any death, whether unexpected or not, is you know shocking. Um, and what I what I did after you called me is I called someone who was close to him, who had just recently seen him, who had been traveling through Chicago. And so, um, yeah, I've learned in my life that the hardest things to do is actually to call someone and tell someone that someone else has passed that they truly care about. And um, so when I called, um, I was actually. Allison Fisher, not not the pro, but the writer, because she had just seen Dave, and she just started bawling. She was at uh, Derby, and she was just crying and crying and couldn't believe it. And it was just, it was so heartbreaking, so heartbreaking for me to have to tell her that, and for for her to hear the news. And she was just as shocked as as we all are about it. Definitely too young. 
Absolutely. Um, what what got you involved in the show? Because I mean, you. I, I don't remember the first episode you did with Dave, but you know, it was later on in the show's history that you got involved, and then you kind of became a regular weekly guest. Yeah, I think what happened was that he called me about. I think it was about the Omega tour that I was running. Um, I think that's what it was. And um, we somehow another got on the topic of, you know, that I have a blog and that, you know, if you need, if you ever need material or anything, I'm always ready and willing to <laughs> talk about pool and talk about my blog topics. Um, Cause I've been finding out more and more that people are learning from them. And, uh, and so I think that's, that's really how it got started. And so basically when he would run out of material, he would, or not run out of material when he needed material, I guess I should say, because they never really ran out of material. Um, he would uh, he would contact me. And I, I miss his post, you know. He was kind of, you know, he would say, like, the craziest things on Facebook, like, like annoying, you know, funny things on Facebook. And, uh, boy, now I really miss it. I miss those annoying posts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I miss chatting with him about Prince. I I found out way too late in he and I's relationship how big a Prince fan he was. Yeah. And he loved the weather, so every time we every time every single chat we did for the radio program, how's the weather? I was like, Oh my god, you're getting he's really gonna ask me about the weather every time. Because <laughs> he loved the weather, he knew I worked for the weather service, he just had to ask me on the air every time. <laughs> Okay, Please so don't ask me about the- <laughs> you you I was right there. <laughs> so tell me how your blog got started. Oh gosh. Um you know, it's been I've been doing it over 10 years and it was really kind of started out as my online personal diary of my tournaments is really how it started. And um I used to write, you know, my results, not really results, but who I played um, what, you know, what I was thinking sort of thing. I used to write them down and then I put them, I was like, Oh, here comes, you know, the internet. And so I put in a blog and I didn't open it up to like three people cause I was scared of what people would think. And then, um, <clears throat> they suggested I open it up. And so I opened it and made it to where anyone could read it. And then from there, um, uh, I was still very uh, shy about what I would talk about. You know, I kind of just talked about, well, I went to this tournament and this is how I did. And I wouldn't mention names, you know, and I didn't throw anyone on the bus. And, you know, well, I placed ninth, and but this is how I felt, you know. And then um, I was talking to someone from the forums, and he's like, you know, you keep talking about there's something wrong with your mom, but you haven't been specific. And I said, well, I don't know if I should. And they said, you know, it'll really help you connect to the readers. And um, then kind of the floodgates opened after that. I shared that my mom had emphysema, and I shared many more details and I started just really just completely opening up and talking about not just blog I mean not just tournaments but also um you know anything and everything from you know like a vacuum cleaner like the other day I wrote about how a vacuum cleaner during the in the middle of a spar session was bothering us and so <laughs> what happened though in in the middle of in the middle of transitioning the blog and opening up my game improved and I became a state champion, a national champion, and all this stuff. And so it really completely transitioned from me talking about my tournaments to all of a sudden me sharing a bunch of tips and a bunch of learning experiences. And so now it's it transitioned into that. And now what I've noticed lately is is it's transitioned into more of um, kind of a personal in nature. And now I kind of talk about um, 
not things that happen, but maybe people in the pool room or maybe people's comments or, you know, things like that. Like just recently, I uh, wrote about, if I could share with you, Mike, in the group. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Um, I recently wrote about how a a friend of mine, um, and it was, it was, it's really a very touching story. This uh, friend of mine, his wife has Huntington's disease. And um, basically, Huntington's disease is, is a brutal disease that affects your your brain and your motor skills. And so, the way to describe it, if you don't know anyone that has that, is um, they um, they 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 can't walk in a smooth, you know, they, like they don't walk smoothly. Um, they kind of they don't really shake, but they're you know any motion, like if she takes a sip or something, it's very shaky. Um, she doesn't speak right now. She actually mumbles. She can't speak anymore. And there's no cure for it. And so um, it's a very, very tough disease. And so well, his, his wife, I mean, his, uh, his, her husband plays pool and he gambles. And so he's all over Facebook all the time. You know, he says, come to Fort Worth, come to Fort Worth, I'll play anyone. And everyone's like, come to Dallas. And he's like, no, I don't want to go to Dallas. And he's like, no, I don't want to go here or there, you know. And so I asked him the other day, um, why he only wanted to play in Fort Worth in his pool room. And I already knew the answer. I mean, I've been playing pool for 25 <laughs> years. <laughs> so I already knew the answer, but I thought I'd ask him. And I wrote about this on my blog just um, just last week. Um, but what I asked him was, um, or what he, I asked him, I said, why do you always play only out of Fort Worth? And he said, well, he said, I was like, it's because it's close to home, right? And he's like, no. And I'm like, it's because you have a certain favorite table. And he's like, no. And I go, it's because there's not a lot of smoking there. He's like, no. And I'm like, what's the reason? And he says, well, the reason is, is they treat us like family. And it completely threw me off because I wasn't expecting him to say that. And what he shared with me, and it was really heartbreaking, is is when he goes to other places, people don't know him and his wife. And and if you were to see her, and let's say you're young and stupid and drunk at a pool room, and you see her, you know, spill a drink, or even if you walk by her, you're going to think she's just really drunk. And then you're going to make fun of her. That's what that's what has happened. So he's in there gambling, and people over here hurting her feelings or, you know, making fun of her. And of course, that distracts him and upsets him, upsets her, all that type of stuff. So, but when he plays in the homeroom, everyone knows her. And so, let's say he's playing, he's gambling, and he and she spills a drink. The people that the friends there, the patrons, or the people that work there, they help her right away because they know that you know because they care about her and they care about him. Let's say she drops her cigarette or something. They're going to, you know, and he doesn't see it. Because normally he's the first one always that helps her with everything. But if he just happens not see it, everyone else will help. Sometimes she also goes to the bathroom and she stays too long. And so normally he's got to go find someone and, hey, can you check on my wife? Well, at this pool room, they automatically go check on her. He doesn't even have to, you know, he doesn't have to worry about that. He already knows that they're going to go and check on her, and it's a really cool thing. And he just really just stressed how they care about her, and they care about him, and um, and they have a really, really cool, beautiful, loving relationship. I mean, he's the she's she's the biggest fan of his, and they always um, she's I like I've never seen her not there. Like she's never at home. She's always there watching him. And as a matter of fact, on the when I ran the Omega Beards tour two years ago, we um, we gave a a best sportsmanship award and we gave it to her and she wasn't even a player. She was a player's wife, but she was, she was like the best sportsman person. But anyway, so it's really transitioned, you know, in the past 10, I guess now 12 years, maybe 15 years of, you know, Hey, I played this tournament and I placed ninth and to now more about people and learning and things like that. 
you mentioned early on that somebody in the forums had said that you know talking more about personal stuff would make you connect more with your audience did you find writing about things like that became lethargic for you um what i found was is that a lot of people related to it and that they could um so if someone reached out to me or something i had i had um I was able to help them maybe with some advice because I had written about it because I've already experienced it. <clears throat> I wouldn't say it was lethargic. I'd say it's more um, kind of gave me the opening to help other people is what it, what it gave me. And you commented earlier before we, uh, before we started this, that you do, you try to do 15 a month, 15 entries. 10 to 15 a month is my goal. Yes. That is my goal. Were you doing 10 to 15 back when you were doing all of that stuff in pool before your retirement? <laughs> I, um, I've been probably doing 10 to 15 for over five to seven years now. Wow. And I'm, and I'm, the, and I'm the only one out there doing it. Like there's been many bloggers with me, many pool bloggers with me, many, many. And, um, they, you know, stop blogging or blog once a month or, I mean, once a, once a year or twice a year and they just stopped. And, um, what I always knew is that people come back to your blog when you, when you post. I mean, that's the biggest thing we hear. And so, um, there are still few pool bloggers out there, but I am the one that, that posts more, most often. I mean, I have lists and lists and lists of things I can blog about. I just, you know, the, I just sometimes don't have time or sometimes, you know, something more exciting comes up that I want to blog about or, or can't read my notes, one of the two <laughs> sort of thing. But uh, it is a goal of mine and it is something that um, blogging is the, is the second greatest thing about pool that I love doing. The first thing is giving lessons, but um, the, the sec, you know, I, I just love blogging. I really do. What, what got you started with the blog? I mean, what, prompted you to say this is something I want to devote this much time of my life to? I think um, I really was just using it, like I said, as an online diary and I didn't and I was tired of carrying pieces of paper around and saving the papers I wrote notes down or the notebooks or whatever and then once I started getting feedback that's when I really started um, doing it more and what's really weird is I don't, I don't even know who reads my blog and I don't think a lot of people do I wish I could actually advertise it or something because, because the, the few people that I've heard from um, that kind of give me feedback, all they talk about is how much does their game has improved because of it. So it's not necessarily a pro reading my blog and their game's improving. It's normally people who, the, it's the me 10 years ago that are reading my blog that are, that are, their games are improving because of what I write about. You know, I talk about breathing when I'm under pressure and I talk about staying down and following through all these things that, you know, I didn't really learn until late into my pool journey, which is the name of my blog, Pools of Journey. And so um, I just keep, and, you know, and even when I don't hear feedback, I still just keep writing and writing, <laughs> hoping someday that, you know, it'll be, people go to it, you know, and say, wow, this is really great. <laughs> I just wanted to help people. I find it interesting that you still have the drive to do it even though, and I tease you, but, you know, even though you have stepped away from so much of the pool game. Yeah, I still love it. And I still have plenty to write about. 
I give lessons and um, not very often, but when I do, I, uh, something always comes up when I give a lesson, you know? So, I mean, it could be five things come up when I give a lesson. When I ran the Omega tour, there'd be 10 things that could not come up during a stop. Oh, I should write about that. You know, cause it's amazing the things that happen, you know, just it, it's, you know, people can go to a tournament and it's, and the thing is though, if you, if you're blogging, you know that you're going to look, you don't know that you're going to look for writing topics, but topics seem to show up at your door. You know what I mean? Like if, like if you and I were just talking in the pool room or something and you don't write a blog, you would never even, you might tell a friend, Hey, you know, Lynn and I were talking about this and this was a pretty cool topic. Whereas I sit back and write notes down so I don't forget it and say, hey, I need to write what Mike and I talked about on my blog because this was pretty interesting and I think other people would like it. And the other thing is I've, like when I, and what's really tough though for me, I should say, <laughs> it's pretty kind of funny is, is I can't read anything. I can't read a book. I can't read articles. I can't read anything because everything I read, I can relate to a pool blog topic. So, <laughs> A long time ago, someone suggested I read um, A Good Walk Spoiled, which is a, a golf book. And um, I only made it in three pages, three or four pages, and I had like five blog things. I had <laughs> five topics to blog about because it just all relates to me. You know, I mean, it all relates to pool and things that we can write about and share about. Oh, yeah, I could talk about that pressure moment. And, oh, I could talk about that. And, you know, like just recently there was an article about Justin Thomas you're not going to believe this, but he was, I don't, this golfer, he asked for a rude player to be escorted out of the, out of the stands, out of the, whatever it's called. Um, he asked Gallery. for, yeah, yeah, he asked for this rude play, this rude fan to be kicked out of the gallery. And I was, when I read that, I was like, oh my God, I was like, could we do that in pool? <laughs> you know? I've done it. And, <laughs> well, yeah, you and I. But, you know, I mean, wouldn't it be great to go to a tournament and not have to deal with something like that? You know, that we were able to actually kick someone out because we didn't, you know, it's just not, you know, anyway. So I saw that and I oh, got to write about that, you know. <laughs> Whereas I think if you're not a blog writer or you're not a writer, even, you know, like a newspaper, whatever it is, you don't think of that as, a, as something that you should, you know, you just read it and think, wow, that's cool. And like, again, you and I may talk about it at the pool room or something. Hey, guess what I heard? But now I like now I blog about it. <laughs> do your do your friends get to the point where they're having a conversation with you and they see you reach for a piece of paper and they think, Oh Lord, I'm gonna read about this tomorrow, aren't I? <laughs> I usually warn them ahead of time, yes. <laughs> and actually we even and even with this guy, uh, with his wife, I asked him if I could and I said, Look, I said, Let me I said, Let me write it and have you review it and see if you like it. Because it is really touchy to talk about, you know, someone and, and their wife who has Huntington's disease and, and that they, they go through some pretty tough times. And um, so, you know, you get, so I had to get his permission, uh, not get his permission, but I wanted him to be very comfortable with it. And um, he said it was really good and he, he, he didn't have any changes and he actually shared it before I did on Facebook. That's how much that he liked it. And I had a lot of great com compliments about it because in the piece I show not just the story, but also their love story about that they, that they love each other, you know, and that, and that everyone loves them. So. And it's not just the blog that you write. Um, I will plug uh, one of the other projects. You also do a, uh, a monthly interview in our Buzz magazine. Yes, Billiard Buzz, yes. Now that you mention that, that's a top three. That's probably closer to one or two now of my favorite things to do. Wow. 
Yeah. I I like those interviews because they're not your typical I sat down with this champion player and how does it feel to win this and how does it feel to win that? I mean, you have some real heartwarming personal stories in there that that I find very interesting. I appreciate you saying that. I uh you know, doing interviews has kind of always been kind of a dream of mine that I didn't realize was a dream. You know, it sounds funny, but kind of even before I approached you, if I could be, I kind of asked if I could be a columnist, I remember. Um, but I had always had people in my mind that I was going to interview if I ever had the opportunity, always. So I already had the first year full of people. They didn't know it, of course, that I was going <laughs> to interview them. But the one thing I always like to do is um, I like to interview people that have something that they've overcome, whether it be, you know, a physical thing or drugs or, uh, you know, the first guy had colon cancer. That's why I interviewed him. The next guy had fibulitis. I don't know how to say that. Um, uh, you know, so I always interview, you know, I interviewed Charlie uh, Hillbilly. He, you know, had a heart attack. And, and, and it's really interesting because what I found is obviously there's a lot more of the story than just those events happening. And, um, and so I've been moved by almost every single one of them. And actually, it's funny you bring this up because the latest one, the one for the March issue, it, it so when you write something, you have to review it every time. You know what I mean? Like the blog right. post, I probably review it like 10 times, maybe more. Interview, you got to really, you know, review it, review it. Well, anyway, in the last one, the one I actually just sent you for the March one, I, I cry every time I read it. And, I, and I'm, it's, it's probably the most touching one I've, I've ever done. And I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't know it was going to be that way because you don't really know sometimes how it's going to go. You know, I mean, you have no clue what they're going to say. And then they come back with these amazing answers, you know, and these, these thoughtful things and these heartfelt situations that they've been through just by asking one simple little question, you know? And so it's, it's been, um, every time I read, every time I get the first version of them, I just, I'm just, I'm stunned by, by the interviews. Yeah. This one was really good. I, I liked it a lot. Um, now, you mentioned... The one that's not published, right? Right, right. And it'll be out, well, if, for people who are listening to that today, um, it'll probably be out by Monday. Oh, really? That's cool. Well, here's a funny story about... Here's a funny story about the one in March. Is um, So the guy uh, I interviewed, um, he has only one leg. And... Um, and he always talks about going to the VA hospital and all that type of stuff. And so I thought it'd be really cool to talk to someone who's, you know, he's about 71 years old and been in, you know, a war and lost his leg and all this kind of stuff. And I thought it'd be really interesting. So I called him up and I asked him, you know, I said, hey, you know, you know, I'd like to interview you. And he's like, why? I only got one leg to stand on. And he's a really <laughs> funny guy, really funny. And so the... And I knew some of the most of the questions I asked him I knew about, um, and and people will read them in the in the article. The the stuff will make you cry. But I um I asked him. I said, you know, before I send you the questions, can I can you just give me a little bit of information about how you lost your leg? Because I didn't know how to ask it, and I didn't know what happened. And um, so I'm ready, you know, for this story about I don't know Vietnam or something, you know. Instead, he lost it in a motorcycle accident, and I had no idea. Right. <laughs> and here I am thinking, you know, it's some veteran story I'm going to write about, you know. And, uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. But uh, it's, I mean, the story of itself, of the motorcycle accident, it, 
it's amazing. I mean, I don't want to give it all away, but he shouldn't be here. Let's just put it that way. And uh, but yeah, it was pretty funny. My my ex- my assumptions were wrong again. <laughs> I I was really uh, amazed by the article. Now we've talked about the blog Pula's journey. You, you said you wanted to advertise it. What's the URL? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, if you search for Pula's journey, you'll find it. But it's a pulljourney.blogpost.com. Blog post? Yeah, pulljourney.blogpost.com. It's a free, you know, a free URL. (laughs) With all of your web experience, you're using a free generic. Listen, I don't want to hear it from you. I don't want to hear it from you. (laughs) What people don't know is that Melinda and I have known each other since pretty much the beginning of AZ Billiards. Yep. Um, I remember the first time we had communicated via email numerous times, and we were finally going to be at the same tournament together and ended up on opposite sides of the arena. And how long did we spend <laughs> looking around the room saying, is that her? Is that him? <laughs> yeah, we've been uh, emailing since 1998, I believe. Eight, 98 or 99. Wow. That's amazing. We're still talking. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't gotten tired of each other yet. Not yet. Close. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, So you mentioned that the buzz is is one of your fit top of the list two or three. You're doing the blog. You're doing the buzz. What else are you doing? Uh, The lessons. When I give a lesson, it gives me the... Uh, a natural high. I can't even explain it. I just... I just love giving lessons. And I hardly do it. But when I do it, I just... It's, oh my God, it's one of the best, it's just one of those best things I do. I can't explain it. And I don't, I don't, um, you know, I don't show anyone how to stand or hold a bridge or, you know, hold a cue, any of that stuff. I get a hold of people that know how to play that maybe not know strategy or, you know, three ball shape or, you know, the balls are supposed to shoot next sort of thing. Those are the ones I get a hold of. And so what's interesting is, is the, the, I, practiced with a girl only about four times last year and only about three hours every time and her game improved so much that everyone's noticing and everyone's asking her what she did (laughs) and this is all based on just meeting with her about four times a year wow you know and just going over strategy because if you don't know strategy you know you just you know it's tough to really start winning the games that you're supposed to win and then when you start learning it and people start saying, oh, all of a sudden, you know, they're playing safe when they're supposed to. And all of a sudden they're not making their duck balls. And, you know, and now it's a tougher match for these guys playing against her. And uh, and she's also in the ladies league and um, they've all noticed it. And this is just eight ball. I haven't even got a hold of her yet for nine ball. <laughs> <laughs> so one of her teammates noticed it. And um, so now I'm I'm uh, I'm helping her as well. So. And you don't find it difficult? I mean... I know you've talked about your retirement and, and all that, but you don't find it difficult to be around pool and not playing? Um, I do sometimes, but um, then sometimes I don't. What's really weird is when I spar with, with, with my clients, I guess they're called clients, when I spar with them, I play really good for someone who doesn't play pool, doesn't play league, doesn't practice. And I surprised myself, and I'm like, "Ooh, maybe I can go out there and play good again, you know? And um, and the few tournaments I played, and I played one in January and one in September, and I just didn't play well because 
I'm not mentally strong anymore like I used to be. You know, you, you can't just, I mean, I have the same physical aspects. You know, I stay down, I follow through, I have a smooth stroke. That's all still there. But mentally, I'm just not there. So things bother me and, you know, and I just, I, because I'm not still competing, that part, that mental toughness goes away, unfortunately. <laughs> I wish it was easy to come back, but it's not. Um, but, you know, it's funny because I I hear about a lot of drama that still goes on in the pool rooms and leagues and stuff. When I hear that, I'm like, yep, I'm good at retiring. I'm good <laughs> at this decision, and I'm glad I'm not dealing with all that. So, no, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't miss it. I don't, and I don't know why, <laughs> but I don't. Considering all the different things that you've done related to pool, from being a league player to building websites for pool players to giving lessons to doing the blog to running a tour, you name it. I mean, there isn't a whole lot involved in pool that I don't think you've been in, you know, that you've done. Do you see where you're at now? You're going to love the way I bring this back around as the <laughs> end of your journey, or do you think that you'll move on to something else involved in pool? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I, you know what I would honestly like, I, I don't see an end to it because I'm just so enthralled, enthralled in it. And, you know, one of my concerns about not running a mega tour anymore at the end of last year, after six years was, would I have things to blog about? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> well, I still have things, well, still things, co- uh, you know, that was one of my concerns, but I found out that's not an issue. And if, um, if these lessons uh, keep going with other people, you know, word, word of mouth, you know, that'll be fine too. But, you know, honestly, a, a crazy dream is that someday my blog could be a book and then people could learn from it. Because um, I, I keep hearing, and it's not from a lot of people, and like I said, I don't know how many people read the blog, but a lot of people that do, that are up and coming, they all tell me how much it improves their game and helps their game and it's made them who they are today. And they're still learning and they're still going through. I mean, I basically put all my pains on a blog and hopefully people are reading it so they don't have to go through the, all those pains, you know, because I didn't really get good in, until 20 years. And so I'm trying to help people, you know, in that 20, 10 year stage before me, you know. And so that would be my, my dream is to make my blog into a book. And um, I can do it right now, but it would never be on Amazon. You can easily turn any blog into a book. Um, but like I said, it won't be advertised that way. So then I was thinking, well, you know, maybe I could, I don't know, make an audio book. I mean, these are all things that are, I see in the future, so I don't see my pool journey ending. I see trying to help others more. I just got to figure out how. <laughs> well, I don't see drive as an issue. I mean, you have <laughs> an amazing, I mean, there's days that I get up, because I mean, look, it, you know, we both, every day, we're doing something pool related. You know, right. there's days that I get up and just say, oh man, I don't want to do this today. And, you know, I can think of a number of times early on in the website when people would say, hey, you know, I really like what you're doing. You'll get bored with it soon. Well, 20 years <laughs> later, you know, but right. you, you, I mean, do you struggle with that? I mean, you, you don't seem to. I do struggle that when, when I'm depressed, when, when I get depressed, I don't feel like writing. I don't feel like sharing. I don't feel like doing anything. <clears throat> but when the depression lifts, which sometimes is magically, <laughs> all of a sudden it just starts, 
you know, I can write three blog posts in a day, you know, if I really, you know, if, if, if I'm in a good mood, I guess you could say. So I don't, um, it it just, it seems kind of weird, but yeah, that's, you know, but you know, I, I flew to Vegas, uh, for my birthday in early February and, um, I'm on the plane and instead of like listening to music or watching a movie or reading the magazine, I'm writing a blog post (laughs) because that's what I do. I mean, to me, that's free time, you know? Right. I have two and a half hours till I get to Vegas. I'm gonna I'm gonna write a blog post because you know you got to fit it. Not necessarily fit it in, but you know you recognize the times that when you can and you know when you can write and when you take the opportunity to do that. And the one thing I'll say that a lot of people, well, hardly anyone knows, is I don't have the internet at home, and so I do all this stuff away from home. <laughs> Oh wow! You know what I mean. So yeah, so I'm doing it normally after work. That's when I normally like right now. I'm I'm off of work. You and I are talking, and um, yesterday I wrote a blog piece and I wrote it after work. And so everything is me staying over at work and and working on the blog post because I don't have the internet at home. I don't know if that's good or bad not to have the internet at home, but <laughs> I, I, I'd give you my opinion, but I don't think you'd really be interested in it. <laughs> but that's why when I was on the plane, I was like, you know, this was perfect opportunity to, you know to write a blog post. And again, I'm not posting from the air, you know, I'm just writing it and then I'll, you know, when I have some downtime, I'll review it and then post it later. Okay. Well, between the blog posts and the buzz (laughs) and a a regular uh, weekly helping me keep an episode out there every week, I'm sure you're going to be more than busy. (laughs) Yes. And I've, I've enjoyed these as well. When Dave asked me to do to help, I was ecstatic. Uh, every time he called, he'd be like, do you have anything to talk about? I said, man, I have so many. I don't even know which one to choose from. Because <laughs> I can just talk in, about so many things that come up, you know. I do. No, that makes perfect sense. When when Dave and yep. Mark and I used to do shows, it was like that. Um, you know, yep. we'd just go off on a tangent and, and things would get strange. But... All right. I appreciate your time. It certainly was longer than I thought it would be, just like it was with Mark earlier. But um, I appreciate your time. Go home. Do something non-pool related. We'll talk next week. (laughs) All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Melinda. Thank you. Just like Mark, Melinda says she has more than enough things to talk about, and I expect to be talking to her a lot on the show. Next week, part of the show will be dedicated to chatting with Pat Fleming about his Legends Challenge last weekend and what other plans he has for the rest of the year. Until then, this was American Billiard Radio, and we're thinking about you, Dave.